Welcome to the Caring for EOE podcast, where we'll navigate eosinophilic esophagitis together. From diagnosis to daily living, feelings to finances, and restrictions to recipes, let's create a community that cares for EOE. Hi, and thanks for joining me for this episode of the Caring for EOE podcast. It's been about six months since I published the first episode, and what's been so amazing is to hear from different people about their reaction to the episodes and what stories that they have to share of their own, and how there's, while there's a lot of things that are different among all of us, there are so many things that are similar, and that sense of community has really shown through in the, the emails and notes that I've gotten from people, so thank you to everybody who's reached out. And I'm really excited to be talking to one of our listeners today who reached out after listening to a couple of the episodes. So Hannah, thank you so much for joining me. The pleasure is really all mine. I'm so glad to have found this amazing opportunity to join the community you're looking to build, as well as, you know, you you know, EOE is just all-encompassing, right? And so having this virtual support system um, is just such a tremendous um, opportunity and impact on dissolving the feelings that we have of isolation and misunderstanding and the fear that comes with all of this. So thank you so much for turning your passion into something that's really impactful and meaningful for everyone else in this community. Oh, wow. Thank you for that. It's been, it's been a real gift and it's kind of, I've said it before, it's kind of this club you didn't know it existed, but if we're all going to be in it, let's be in it together. That's exactly right. (laughs) Well, I've gotten a chance to get to know you a little bit, um, but you're a mother of 3.5 year old twins. So three and a half year old twins, which honestly is amazing in its own right. I don't know how you do it. My hat's off. I have a special place in my heart for any parents of twins. (laughs) (laughs) Well, tell me about the girls and, and a little bit about your journey and becoming an EOE family. Sure, yeah. So, you know, it's it's my normal. So um, I wouldn't know what it was like to not have twins. So um, they're, they're pretty amazing. Um, and we're just so fortunate just to have them in our lives, EOE and everything. Um, so they're fraternal IVF girls, um, Noah and Bodhi. And, you know, we had some challenges during pregnancy, but we were lucky that they were delivered at term. So, again, so grateful. Um, And if you can imagine, they are different in every single way possible. So Mm -hmm. from their likes to their personalities, um, what we like to call their superpowers, it's just everything is so different, Um, except they both have celiac disease. Um, And that's coincidentally where we found Bodhi's EOE diagnosis as well. So... She had been a reflux baby her entire life um, and always struggled to drink, to gain weight. She spit up frequently and, you know, we spent hours and hours of trying to soothe her when she was screaming through the night and we would take turns keeping her upright while we tended to her sister and, I mean, we tried everything you could think of. So we fed her less, but more frequently we elevated her during sleep, we adjusted my diet and eventually got to the point where we were like, this is more than colic. You can tell us that it is, but it's more than colic. And we asked for a medication trial. Um, So they put her on Zantac and I mean, it was an instant change. She, yeah, she started eating better and started putting on weight and was just like a happier baby. And so we did this for a while. We would give her her medication and she would be 
good. And then a few weeks into it, she would start getting symptomatic again and we'd increase her dose. And, you know, we were just happy that she was not in pain and we were just kind of holding on to the idea that she would eventually grow out of it. Um, along the way, we supplemented with, you know, Pediasure and things of that nature because we did then fall into a failure to thrive diagnosis because she wasn't getting as fast as the charts wanted her to. And so um, we loaded her up with all of her favorites, right? The bread and pasta and all that good stuff. Um, but then at her three-year checkup, she needed another refill for her medication and the docs were like, you need to see pediatric gastroenterology because she should have outgrown it by now. Mm. Um, and so what we didn't know that at that point, what we were feeding her all the bread and the pasta, that was her kryptonite because we ended up getting this celiac diagnosis after they run ran some, um, blood panels and, um, because it's hereditary, we checked her sister as well, and she's also positive for celiac. So that kind of started our whole relationship with just GI-related, you know, diagnoses and things of that nature. Um, so for celiac, they will typically do an endoscopy and then take biopsies to confirm the diagnosis. And that's also when they visualize the eosinophils for her in the esophagus. And so the doctor took biopsies to rule it out, um, but as we all know, you and I are talking, so mm. clearly that came back positive. Yeah. Um, and so as devastated as we were, um, you know, to get this secondary diagnosis on top of her celiac, we were also grateful at the same time, right, because Noah's biopsies came back negative. So um, between them, both have celiac, but only one has EOE. So in some ways, it's slightly easier to manage. Um, and we're still on our journey to identify what exactly her triggers are. Um, so far, we've had two endoscopies and are working on our third within the next couple of weeks. Oh, wow. So, and had you heard of EOE before they did the, the GI, um, I'm sorry, the endoscopy to try to rule it out? Um, yeah, so, you know, when we first got the celiac diagnosis, we went straight into research mode, right? And so, of course, with that comes other um, diagnoses that you read about. And at that point, we hadn't really considered it as something that could have been a factor for us because we thought we had found it, mm -hmm. um, found what her issue was. But I personally know two people who have EOE as well. Um, and so one's a child around their age and then one's an adult. And so I was familiar that it existed, but not the extent of how impactful it is on your life. Oh, absolutely. I know. And to contend with celiac in and of itself is its own animal. And so I'm assuming, obviously, you have restricted diets and, and cut out, like you said, the kryptonite, which was a great way to explain it, because I'm sure she loved it. And it probably felt really good to give her something that was high in calories and would hopefully help her with the fa failure to thrive. So so change changing their diet. What has that been like? So, yeah, the, the celiac actually took us in a completely different direction, right? So usually... With the EOE, um, dairy being as big of a trigger as it is, is one of the first things to go out of the diet. But in our case, we eliminated gluten first because we knew we had to for the celiac mm -hmm. anyway. Right. So we were kind of, I don't know, Pollyannish, if you will, that 
um, we were going to uh, find that was going to be it, right? That was going to be the one. Um, and so, unfortunately, um, after being gluten-free for a while, she she did feel better, and we were able to get her off her Zantac, and she's been medication-free since March of this year. But um, while that decreased her um, celiac panel, her eosinophils were still there. So we are now on glute, um, sorry, dairy restriction, um, and that's what we're going to go check on um, in a couple of weeks to see if we've um, found it this time. Oh, wow. I know. And dairy does seem to be a really common trigger. So I'm, I'm hopeful that maybe you have found it just in, in eliminating that. But, And if you don't mind my asking, have you chosen to also take Noah off of dairy? Or do you contend with two diets? Or how does that work? Yeah. So uh, as of right now, we're all on the same diet. Um, our thought is that, you know, if it continues to become more restrictive, then we need to make some adjustments, but as of right now, Noah is also dairy free. We we never really thought that it was a critical part of her diet. I mean, um, you know, certainly as they got out of the one year mark and stopped um, getting the breast milk, then we had transitioned over to whole milk. But we also were supplementing at that time with soy, so it was combination of two so the transition off of dairy was truly not as impactful aside from like the cheese and then finding it hidden in um in all of the packaged foods the shared lines and you know things of that nature yeah well and and i am impressed with all of the the dairy alternatives now um everything from the oat milk to the almond milk i don't know if your kids can have nuts um or tree nuts and things but there seem to be a lot of ways to cut out dairy that um, don't necessarily make it seem quite so restrictive. But. Yes, yes, absolutely. And and we are fortunate they are um, able to eat nuts and um, have tree nuts and things of that nature. So we've been able to hang on to that and they handle soy well. And so we're hoping that they can continue on that track. But, you know, if not, we'll adapt and adjust and just keep it rolling, right? That's, that's what we do. I know it. And you have had such a positive (laughs) attitude to just take it as it comes and figure out what's next and be really action oriented. Uh, So I was really impressed when we talked earlier, um, just kind of about the things you've gone through and how you've chosen to approach it. So um, they're, they're really lucky to have that in you as a mom. So (laughs) I, I very much appreciate that. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty remarkable how resilient they just are. And, you know, to them, it's just another day. And, we, I think, as parents and adults who who have this view of what normal is, um, tend to probably, you know, with all good intentions, impose some some stressors that they don't even think of or even know exist. You know, so um, I really try to keep this mentality of you know it's life and you're happy and you're growing and we're just that's what we're going to focus on and it's just going to be your normal and we'll deal with it. And I I really think the best thing that we can equip them with is the tools to be able to navigate this food obsessed world um, with just the certainty and strength that they belong in it just as much as anyone else. That's a great way to think about it. And, you know, it even reminds me to your op- one of your opening comments when we just started talking right now about you're the mother of twins, but that's all you know. 
And so for me, who sits here and looks in, in such awe and saying, oh, I can't believe that you, <laughs> how, how much you do as a mom of twins, you're saying, but that's my normal. And I think that's the same kind of approach for the kids is to be able to help them recognize that this is just another version of normal. And, and you're right, what I hope that we're able to instill in them is just a way to navigate the world that, that is not necessarily EOE friendly, um, but in a way that doesn't change the, the life and the, um, I don't know, kind of approach that they can have to living. So. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, you know, they truly make it easy. I think whenever we have the opportunity to look at the world from their lens and their perspective, it, it really kind of opens up any barriers that we may have unknowingly put in front of us. And so I, I try to be mindful of that whenever possible. Um, you know, it, it gets away from you, right? There's so much to manage with, um, with EOE and just parenting and just life and work and all of that alone. So it, it, it can get away from you from time at times, but um, yeah, they, they're good reminders. It's true. We are human after all. Um, but your point is so well made. I mean, it's a lot of time the adult perspective that complicates things. And if I think about what's going on with Tyler, I mean, he's, he's a happy guy. He just kind of rolls with things in a way that um, I, I want to make sure that I keep in check anything that could be the adult view of this world and not his kind of unbridled sense of um, adventure. <laughs> yeah, I know. Absolutely. I have definitely absolutely. learned a lot about myself along the way too. So um, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating thing to look back on the past couple of months. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, I'm kind of excited to see what, and I guess that sounds silly when you're talking about EUE that you're excited, but I'm excited to see how in the next six months or two years, like the trauma, if you will, of, of the diagnosis just is fades away and it's, it's not so, I don't know, heavy. Um, and it's just, it truly has become at that point really normal and really part of everyday life. And it's not this kind of like nagging thing in the back of your brain. It's just, this is how it is. And this is what we're doing. And it just is. And it's okay. Yeah. And there, if there is a blessing in this, it is how young our children are in getting the diagnosis. Um, I've talked with other EUE patients and caregivers of them whose, whose kids were older and, and had to make some real adjustments where our kids, you're right, this is, this is their normal. So let's embrace it and help them um, really skyrocket with it. So Absolutely. Well, and you talked about um, just the madness of parenting and working. You're a working mom. So how has <laughs> that played a role in your journey? Well, you know, my, my wife and I, we both have pretty demanding jobs. And so it's definitely taken a toll on our mental health, right? Um, so my job in project management involves constant multitasking. And she's in information security, so she's constantly hypervigilant. So when you're dealing with autoimmune conditions and food allergies um, for toddlers who aren't necessarily in a space where they can, you know, advocate for themselves and things of that nature, we get to bring our work skills of multitasking and hypervigilance home. But that also means that though we might be well equipped to handle this dynamic, we don't get to turn it off. And so that's really hard to balance when our kind of mission and goal for the girls is normalcy, but then 
you've got this other side of just like managing all of this. And so, you know, we have considered whether we need to consider like alternative, you know, an alternate routes to income and things of that nature. But again, you know, chasing that dream of normalcy and of course, balancing the need for medical insurance, um, we're not adding any new disruptors at the moment and we'll continue until I guess we're forced to make a change, which I think right now we're, we're fortunate enough that we're handling our lot in life pretty well. Oh, that's great. And that's fascinating for me to think of your work skill set really showing up at home too and the blessing and the curse that that brings. Sure. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it definitely does give us the skills to, to watch for symptoms and to make sure that all things are accounted for. And it, but it is, it's exhausting because you, you know, on, on the ride home, you don't, you don't get to turn it off because as soon as you leave, then you're thinking, okay, got to pack lunch for tomorrow. And, you know, did, did they wipe the girl's desk off after they ate lunch today? And, you know, she hiccuped more than she normally does. So did she get exposed to something? So it's, it's that constant that just doesn't go to sleep until you do. Right. It's true. Well, and we both are contending with other caregivers, uh, whether it's family or my son's in daycare as well. Um, that's been a journey in and of itself. It's such an unknown, um, diagnosis that I, there's been a lot of education of our community as well. Have you found that too? Or what has it been like for you, for the people that you entrust your girls to? Well, you know, we've been really unfortunate that their um, daycare um, is just so hands-on with wanting to get more educated with the health concerns that we have with the girls. And they have, you know, been at the forefront. So as soon as the diagnoses were discovered, they started research for on their own accord and started talking about it at their school meetings and just having this fully engaged staff who, so no matter who's rotating to their class, knows exactly what their needs are, where their food is kept, what needs to happen before and after eating. So it's, it's, it's been an amazing experience um, at their school. And, you know, even from buying safe supplies for arts and crafts, um, they give us lead time for food-related celebrations. I mean, it's just remarkable how supportive and amazing it's been. And, you know, for as stressful as it is for us as as a household dealing with this, they've really taken away those stressors at school. Um, and so we, we truly couldn't be more grateful. And we've got this um, amazing uh, friends who on occasion will take the girls and keep them for an entire day. And they bought safe cookware and they keep it kind of isolated so that it doesn't get cross contaminated and they have like special allergy safe food on hand all the time so if we ever say we need to drop the girls off they're at the ready and it's it's remarkable really um Pam's parents are my wife um are about 30 minutes away from us so whenever we need a break there you know they're they're right there and willing to come over and watch the girls if we need to um and you know it's it's interesting because that it sounds so supportive and it sounds like that's so amazing but I'll tell you in not to be ungrateful in any way but you just need so much support I mean and you know my in terms of like blood family aside from the kids I don't have any in the country I'm a first-generation immigrant and so 
um, we're not able to rely on any of my extended family um, from that perspective. So as, as much as we have, you know, I, I know there are so many families who don't and just recognizing that any support that you have is so wonderful. And for those that have an immense support system, I'm just truly appreciating how fortunate and, um, you know, kind of privileged in some ways, um, because it's, I mean, this diagnosis affects everything, right? From planning for vacations to just day-to-day every minute. And so any opportunity to rely and lean on on your support structure is so, so incredibly remarkable. Oh, it really is. It does. It, it's an entire um, community of people around to, to help. And we've been really grateful to have both my husband's parents and my parents who will um, come and care for the kids. And the other day, a friend of mine in the neighborhood said, oh, do you have a babysitter that you rely on? I'm, I'm looking for one to, to, to watch our child. And I realized I have never left them with a babysitter. So mm-hmm. someone who's not, and, and I could feel the anxiety of me inside of me saying, who would I leave them with? And, and how would I do this? And, and yet they're four and a half and two and a half, or two, or just nearly two. So it was incredible how I got really nervous trying to picture someone else caring for the kids. And yet I'm going to need that because I can't always rely on the parents and grandparents to do that. So um, yeah, there's a little bit of a road ahead of me of, of getting some babysitters at the ready who are a little bit closer. <laughs> you know, I, I understand, you know, the, the, the fear of the impact of something potentially going wrong, it's, it can be debilitating, right? So, you know, planning for everything like this, this diagnosis and the impact that it has on us adults anyway, it, it makes us want to and need to account for every single thing because if something changes, there, there's a guilt factor. There's a, did we plan appropriately? Did What did we overlook? And there's this point where we have to pinpoint what happened so that we can prevent it in the future. So it's this continuum of, of like this holistic way that you have to look at everything in order to make sure that your kid is always protected and safe. And, you know, it, it adds a whole different um, definition to like what they lovingly call helicopter parenting mm-hmm. these days, right? Right. right. Um, because you kind of you don't have a choice when it comes to this. It's, yeah, it's it's, it's part of the job description at this point. Yeah. Well, and I'm finding it sounds like you probably have this as well that the project management skills and there's a there's a lot of extra organization that goes on in our cabinets and our refrigerator. You know, yeah. post it notes and sharpies. I go through a lot of those just to make sure yeah. people know what you know Tyler can and can't have. And mm-hmm. um, because we haven't chosen to restrict my daughter because he's got six foods that he can't have, and that would be a lot to ask her not to eat. So Absolutely. there is food in the house that he he can't eat. Um, and so we, we try to put it in spots that are, uh, not, not easily accessible and post-it notes and, and stickers and things. But, um, and I do see that anyone who does care for the kids, they do take our lead. So if I'm nervous, they're going to be nervous. So I try really hard to explain without overwhelming. And, and I'm sure the three pages of notes I left for my mom the other night didn't quite do the job, but <laughs> Oh, well, I think she appreciated them in some way. Yeah, but. no, I, I can only imagine, you know, I, I, I'm i the same way. It's, I 
I had this kind of dialogue in my head of I don't want to give too much because I mean, one, if you're not living it, it's easy to get lost in it all. And two, I, I just want to highlight what needs to happen. More importantly, what shouldn't happen yeah. to keep, you know, to, to keep them safe. And, you know, I, I think that can be overwhelming, right, for the support system as well. They're not living and breathing this as much as involved as they are, um, not to the extent that we are. And so... Um, it's a whole different world to walk into um, when your life outside of my walls is so completely different. Um, and so it, it, it's a lot of conversation and it's a lot of education that has to go into it at, while also kind of maintaining the sense of it's okay, it's not, don't, don't freak out, don't, right. don't, don't, don't let it um, get you down, but it's, it, it's a hard conversation to have too. And and I've also found challenges with getting people to understand the severity of the whole thing. Mm. Yeah, it is. It's, you don't want to scare them, but at the same time, you can't, you can't take this too lightly. And, and I know for us, it had been um, a year since Tyler had broken out in hives and he just broke out last weekend in hives. And we were like, Oh man, okay, this is, it's here and it's, it's something that we deal with on a regular basis and you can never get too comfortable. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know that for, for you and your family that you've seen, what a different experience for say something like that had occurred if your, your parents or your husband's parents were, were watching him at that time, you know, it's such a different experience for, those who haven't lived it day to day yeah. as regardless of how involved and connected um, they are to it. And so it's, um, this is, it, it's a challenge to say the least, but, mm-hmm. yeah. um, but, you know, as, as we discussed, it's, it's what we do and we manage it and we look to the next day. That's true. That's true. Well, speaking of looking to the next day, what are you optimistic about, whether it's for your family or the the field of EOE? You know, what's on your mind that, that has you excited? You know, when, when I kind of look to the future, despite all of these challenges, I, I feel kind of beyond excited for us to get to a point where we're living our lives without being held back. So once we've discovered the triggers and understanding that more could develop in the future, but really getting a handle on what normal looks like for us. You know, I think ultimately we have a responsibility to equip ourselves and then the girls with the tools, right, to not just survive this or merely exist with it, but to really thrive and live with the sense of purpose and joy. And as hard as it is, and it's a roller coaster, and the anxiety can sometimes be through the roof, but we find these like really rare and yet amazing mundane moments, right, that all toddlers go through and families go through where they're just four and or three and a half and almost four and having these tantrums and just doing normal toddler stuff. And it's like, you know, this is cool. Life is still happening. And so I would, I'm really optimistic to get to the point where we can just kind of enjoy what's supposed to be happening as opposed to taking like this 
extra time to sit down and pause and process because we don't have that. We don't have the luxury of like slowing down time to to get a handle on all of this. So I'm just ready to kind of jump in and take the bull by the horns and ride off into the sunset with my amazing kids. And they are amazing and they will continue to be amazing. So you mentioned how impressed you were with the daycare that your children attend and how proactive and attentive they've been. Do you have any advice or what would you say to parents who might not find themselves in a similar situation or whose caregivers during the day, um, you may need to do more to get some some attention drawn to their child. You know, it's it. I think it comes as part of this diagnosis, right? So we are now all of a sudden a, a family with the OE, and I think part of that that responsibility from a caregiver perspective ends up being the need to be an advocate, right? So whether that's an advocate for your child or whether it's yourself who has this new diagnosis, I think in our situation, I tend to present myself as this person who has the same expectations. So a a child who may not have the same needs or dietary restrictions or health concerns as mine, I have an expectation that my kids will receive the same level of care and have all the same opportunities that the other child would as well. And so for me, whether it's a matter of people just perceiving that energy and that ask, um, or whether it's this belief that I have that, you know, if my kids don't get what they need and get the same type of treatment that they would get from me at home, then I'll find a place where they can. I, I don't say it in those terms, but I think, that is conveyed, you know, it's, it's, I think it's critical for us as caregivers of this diagnosis to be at the forefront and just advocate for our kids for, for any and everything that we possibly can. There's going to be so many challenges and so many days when they feel horrible, whether it's just from health stuff or whether it's because they feel excluded and any opportunity that we can take or provide for them to feel normal and included I think it becomes our responsibility whether it's something that we're kind of intrinsically motivated to do prior to the diagnosis you know to kind of be out there and advocate or whether it's something that we're forced to do I don't think we have a choice once we get this diagnosis it's something that becomes a part of our identity it becomes a part of who we are and all of a sudden we're patient advocates and I think embracing that fully, no matter if it's daycare or if it's school or if it's just life at the playground, I think it becomes just part of who we are and part of some of the values that we we push through within our families. Yeah, that advocacy is really important for any parent, you're right, and even more so in, in our cases, and educating in a way that can create partnerships with other caregivers and, and people in our support system versus putting them on the edge or on de- you know defensive um, positions. So yeah, educating, advocating, and I really just am impressed with how you're your daycare has also received um, your lead, taken your lead and, and matched it with their own desire to do everything they possibly could for your kids. So so thanks for giving that example. I think that'll help a lot of parents in assessing, you know, am I getting the right support from our daycare providers and what more can I be doing to help them help my ch- children? Absolutely. You know, eventually these kids will grow up and be able to advocate for themselves. But and until then, 
I strongly believe that we we are going to kind of bear that torch um, as we continue to teach them to do it for themselves. Yeah, for sure. And you're you're showing the, a great example. So thank you. For oh, that. thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> and we've had a chance to talk about a lot of great things, everything from your journey to what it's like um, to, to deal with both diagnoses, celiac and EOE, and our support systems and things we're optimistic about. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to, to share? You know, I, I just think that as, as parents and families who are dealing with something like this, that it's really important for us to you know, pace ourselves, right? This is not a sprint, right? It's it's a marathon and this is a lifelong diagnosis. And as daunting as that might seem and as heavy as it is, and, you know, sometimes it gives us this trigger response to focus on the near term and what's immediately in front of us. I think we can lose sight of the, the future impacts on our psyche, on the, the children. Um, and so just giving ourselves some grace and our families some grace to, to stumble, um, but still pace ourselves to, to really come out at the end victorious, I think is really something that um, I strive for. And um, I can only imagine that other parents do too. So um, yeah, I think just understanding that we're on we're on a journey and there are moments of this journey that are going to be so horrible, but there are moments of this journey that we get to be really grateful and get to really appreciate that we are really putting into the world rock stars. Oh, and that is so true. I love that sentiment of, you know, this really is something that we need to, to pace ourselves on and be aware of how are we doing as caregivers and taking the time to, to recognize that we are doing fine. We are making it work and the kids are, are flourishing. And so, as you said to me in, in the email, you know, we got this mama. That's right. That's absolutely right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, and you certainly do. Your kids are rock stars. You and your wife are amazing. And I'm so grateful that you reached out and I look forward to keeping in touch and hearing how the girls are doing in the years to come. And thank you so much again for just creating the space where, where people can come together. I appreciate it so much. Oh, absolutely. Well, take care and all the best to the girls and to your wife. Thank you so much. Same to you and your family. Thank you. Thank you.